of 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6 this morning. Thank you. There's a lot of things happening. A lot of things happening this time of year. And so uh, thank you for letting us in, uh, spend a little bit more time just talking about some of the things that are coming up. So many things. We have been in the book of 2 Kings for some weeks here and been looking at the ministries, the life and ministries of Elijah and his successor named Elisha. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, in, in, a, in a previous chapter, I was talking about how Elisha was, uh, was, was uh, if you weren't here, you can listen to it later. You can download it off the internet and you can listen to it. It was the, how some young people, you know, called him bald head and mocked him. More importantly, more sadly, they mocked the things of God. And then, and then the bears came out and destroyed some of them. And, and so you, you, that was, I don't know who it was. I don't know who it was, but somebody made up a bumper sticker I haven't peeled it off yet. It's a bumper sticker, and they slipped it under my door this last week, and it says this, Baldhead says the bears are coming. So I don't know who that was. I don't know who that was that wrote that. I don't know if it's going to go on my, 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 uh, my pickup bumper because people will go, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> and I don't even have a bald head. <laughs> They'll be looking at me like... What does that mean? Well, you know what it means. So whoever did this, that was creative. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know who that is because I may have you make up a, a better bumper sticker for me. So thank you for that. Second Kings chapter 6. Lord, may you do a powerful work in us today. We, we know, Lord, that this, is, this, time is, this message is going to end in prayer. And so, Lord, I begin it with prayer and I ask that you will speak to us. We are your people. We are your people. You died for us. You rose from the dead for us. You saved us. You forgave us. You delivered us. And you're still doing it, Lord, for so many. We're acutely aware, Lord, that there are many whose eyes, spiritual eyes, have been closed. They aren't aware of the power of Jesus Christ. They aren't aware of your word. To them, it's just a dusty old book from a long time ago. Lord, we do not elevate ourselves because we do know and they don't. Rather, Lord, we allow our hearts to be broken so that we will do what we can so that they will know, so that they will live forever with you. Heaven is hot. It's real. It's destructive. It's painful. It's eternal. But no one needs to go there. No one is destined for that. You have a plan. You died. You died for the whole world so that whoever will may come to you and receive eternal life. We stand upon that promise. Speak to us this day through your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In recent weeks, in recent weeks, in the news, we have heard or read about the most recent examples of people doing unspeakably immoral things with and to other people. It's, it's captured the headlines. It's just, it's just the most recent person, high-profile person, who did things with and did things to, unspeakable things to other people. And though it's made the headlines, the death of that person 
at his own hand will not heal those that he wounded. Suicide cannot undo the damage. Also in recent weeks, we have seen or heard about people who have targeted and killed other people. In, in fact, I, I've, I've read it, I've heard it, but there have been so many of those recently that for me anyway, I have a hard time remembering how many were killed and the exact places in which they were killed. It, it seems to there have been so many uh, of late that, that it's just kind of hard to keep it all to keep it all straight. In recent days, you, you've read it, heard about it, there is renewed economic uncertainty, right? Tariffs have a, have a, a, a result. There are consequences. There are results, good or bad, regardless of how you feel. I'm simply saying that, that there is economic uncertainty. There's hope ahead, but there's economic uncertainty right now. The prices of things up, down, sideways, we, we, we just really don't know where it's going to end up. And it's more than just a headline, right? These, these are more than just headlines that you hear or read about. Economic uncertainty has the potential of affecting every one of us. In recent weeks, I heard another one just this last week, but in recent weeks, well-known persons who once declared loudly their faith in Jesus Christ, have publicly rejected the essentials of God's Word. Denominations, denominations once powerfully used of God, birthed in revival, innumerable lives changed and transformed when the word of God was preached from their pulpits, there are churches, and I put that in quotations because I question whether and many of them are even a part of the body of Christ anymore because there are denominations and congregations and churches that have all but abandoned the truth of God's word. There are churches that are no, no longer allies of people who look to the Word of God as truth, but they're in fact adversaries. That's discouraging. It's discouraging to me as a pastor. When I look around and whereas some years ago we could all, regardless of denomination, agree upon the essentials of Scripture, there are some that even question whether Jesus was in fact God. That the word of God is without error. That there are sins that this, this book declares and speaks against and says that there will be judgment. And yet now, some of those same sins are not only looked aside, but sometimes even embraced and celebrated. This is happening in our world, and it makes the news. It makes the news nearly every day. Nearly every day there are reports, you read it, listen to it, you'll, you'll see it. Sometimes we see it so much we become almost jaded to it, but nearly every day reports of perversions and violence, 
and terrorism and political mudslinging and once great churches in apostasy and economic upheavals. All of it has made the news. <laughs> but have you, have you ever felt kind of like me? I don't care if I ever watch the news again. Some days it's just kind of like that. It's like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to turn on the news today. I don't know if I want to pull up that website that I go to for my news today because it's hard. It's so much bad news with so much bad news and the depravity of that news. It's not just bad news or disagreeable or sad. It's so much of the news is, is, is speaking of a level of evil that is, seems to be, it is not, but it seems to be unprecedented. And it's so easy, isn't it? It is so easy to feel surrounded. It, it is so easy. It, it, it can become very easy to feel almost overwhelmed to where we want to just like cocoon in our own little place and, and, and do our own little thing and just let the rest of the world do its thing and we, we just do ours. we feel surrounded because we feel overwhelmed the degree of evil in our world you know this the degree of evil in our world is enormous some of you are thinking right now i came for this boy this is just depressing stop but that's the reality isn't it second kings Chapter 6, we have it before you, begins, verse 8, begins this way. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel. Stop there. Again, it says, once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel. Let me explain. Syria possessed one of the greatest armies in the world at that time, and Israel did not. They were often at war against each other, but Syria was the big dog, Israel was the little dog, and the big dog kept beating up the little dog. The beginning of verse 8 makes that clear. It says here again, once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel. And Syria's king, later on in that verse, said to his servants, at such and such a place shall be my camp. Let me explain. Um, they would often go to war against each other, actually war against one. I mean, it's not Israel wasn't so much stupid enough to go against Syria. But, but Syria would go. And, and basically what the end of verse 8 is saying that he was going to, the king of Syria was going to set up his camp and wait for the king of Israel and its army to come along. And they were setting them up for an ambush. He was, he was going to a strategic place so that when they encountered each other, they would destroy them. That is what verse 8 says. This potential ambush, this potential ambush that was being planned and prepared at the end of verse 8 could destroy Israel's king and Israel's army. But in verses 9 and 10, we won't read it, but in verses 9 and 10, it says God used Elisha, right? This man that we've looked at, this man that was powerfully called of God, prepared by God, and used of God. God spoke to Elisha, and he repeatedly warned 
Israel about the ambush. This happened again and again. So every time the king of Syria tried to ambush the, the armies of Israel, Elisha warned them. He knew he, he had divine insight from God. He had this insight and he would warn. And every time they escaped. Well, that, that angered the king of Syria. You can, you can understand how, you know, he's got this great plan to destroy the, 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 the king and the army of Israel. And every time he goes to wait in ambush, he's thwarted. He doesn't know what to do. He's, so, so he, in anger, he asked how they knew and escaped each time. His servants told him it was this, this man of God named Elisha who repeatedly warned, <coughs> excuse me, the king of Israel. So in verse 13. Sirius king issued an order to seize Elisha. It says this, verse 14 says, the Syrian king sent there to that city where Elisha was, the Syrian king sent there horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and they surrounded the city. That's pretty impressive. I mean, he's really out not to destroy the city, but to get one man. This man who God continues to use, he doesn't know that God's doing this, but this man that God continues to use to protect the people of Israel, he's out to get this one person and he sends here, he sends here horses and chariots and a great army. Now I want you to imagine this scene. It, 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 we know that Elisha and his servant were inside the city. We don't know exactly how big the city was, but they're inside the city, and the enemy, along with their war horses and chariots, which would be comparable to like, uh, obviously they didn't have aircraft then and armored vehicles, but it would be like some of the finest fighting implements of its time. It would be comparable to like, to get one person you send in a, a lot of really heavy, powerful aircraft uh, maybe bombers or, or fighter aircraft and, and sending in um, armored vehicles to apprehend one person. They're in this city and they're going to get them. The enemy, along with all of that military apparatus, were outside the city. So picture that in your minds. There's a man named Elisha and his servant. They're inside the city, but surrounding the city is the Syrian army. We don't know the exact number, but it does say it was a great army. So it was a sizable amount of people. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And we don't know the odds because we don't know the number, but we do know this. The odds were definitely against Elisha. He's one man with a servant against an army. I don't like those odds. I would not like those odds. I mean, that's, that is, to say he is vastly outnumbered is a gross understatement. Look at verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, when the servant of Elisha rose early in the morning and went out, behold, it says, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, right? We knew that. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? I can, my, my sometimes overactive imagination, this is how I see it. He gets up in the morning, he stretches himself. They're here in this city. He gets up and he walks out and he looks out through the window or maybe walks out on a little bit of a, of a veranda or a porch or something like that. And he walks out, <laughs> he's stretching himself and he looks, and he looks on the, uh, on the uh, outer edge of the, and he sees Syrian horses and chariots 
a great army, a vast army. He sees us, and in mid-stretch, he sees us, and suddenly now the day has changed. <laughs> he, goes, he goes back inside. I don't know if he was still sleeping, but this is how, uh, he, 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 it's early in the morning, Elisha's maybe still sleeping, and he goes in and he said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? I totally get this guy, right? I don't, I don't, we don't know much about his, his servant, but, but I totally get, what shall we do? You can understand that this, this is not King, alas, my master, what shall we do? This is not King James, right? This is like living Bible. This is like, hey, what are we going to do? Come here, look at this. Elisha's response in verse 16 is classic. If you have not yet done so, it's worth underlining in your Bible. It says this, Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Again, that's worth underlining. That's actually even worth putting on a piece of paper and hanging it on the refrigerator or on the mirror, sticking it on your dash. It's a powerful statement. Again, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I wonder if the servant was confused, right? I mean, there's some things here. Again, I'm just imagining this story in my mind. And I wonder if the servant was just a little bit confused. He looks out, he looks out the window again, and he begins counting. One, two, three, 57, 58. They're circling the city. 302, 303, 507, 508, and he looks, he looks back in and he goes, one, two. Right? Because remember, what, what did the man of God say? Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. One, two. He counts again. One, two. He counts it the opposite way. One, two. He's scratching. He said, well, what's with this? We know that the servant was confused because verse 17 reads, Elisha prayed. See, now Elisha, instead of turning his attention on who's outside the city or even turning his attention upon his servant who doesn't quite yet understand, it says he turned to God Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Now, now you, you have to understand, Elisha apparently saw something that he, his servant, did not yet see. And so he prays to God, open his eyes to see. Open his eyes that he may see. And verse 17 continues. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Notice that part. And he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire 
all around Elisha. <laughs> I, I got to read it again. He prayed and he said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord, in other words, he was praying, Lord, I, 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 want, I want him to see what I've seen. He already saw it. Elisha, in, in this, in, it, it wasn't necessarily something visible, but he already saw something in the spiritual realm, which is very real, that his protege did not yet see. But again, it says, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. He saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Uh, it's worth noting here that there, there's one other reference to uh, chariots of fire and horses, and that is at the beginning of Elisha's ministry and the end of Elijah's ministry. Remember that? When that transition happened, Eli Elisha had followed Elijah for about 10 years as his servant. And when Elijah was taken up into heaven, it says he was accompanied, he went up in a whirlwind accompanied by a, 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 a chariot by horses in a chair. And this is and here it's happening again. He sees this. It's something in the spiritual realm. Wouldn't that be something to see what that young man saw and what Elisha saw? Wouldn't that be something to see? It's like the veil that covered the supernatural. Yet very real world was lifted. And they saw how it really was. I need to say that again. It's as if the the veil that that covered the supernatural world was lifted and he saw things as they really were. Not as he imagined it, but how it really was. It was this, I think the best way to describe it was an angelic army in full battle complement standing by. Wouldn't that be something to see? I, I really don't know that any artist could accurately depict what it must have been like. I do want to see this replayed when I get to heaven. It must have been so impressive. Roll it again, God. I want to see that again. I want to see what they saw that day. There's a couple of things I want you to understand about this scene that we just read. The first thing is this. I want you to notice how Elisha did not pray for the angelic army to gather. It was already there. He didn't pray, Lord, send your angels, send a, an army and the apparatus of warfare so impressive that all will be astounded. He did not pray that. It was already there. Elisha simply asked God to open the servant's eyes so that he could see them. It was already there. The power of God was always there. The presence of God was always there. It's just that the servant didn't see it. He didn't know about it. He needed his eyes open so that he could understand there is a power that is greater than any power in this world. The second thing that I need you to understand about this text is this. 
While the army, it says, surrounded the city, it says the angelic army surrounded Elisha. That's huge. Oh, it says, it says that they saw them, and I have no doubt that they were around the city. But it says that while man's army, the enemy's army, was around the city, it says this angelic army that words cannot describe was around Elisha. What a beautiful picture. In a world in which there are so many against the people of God and the things of God, it records here that God was around them. Earlier, I mentioned briefly, really, because could have given the gory details and spoke at length, but earlier I mentioned some of the current and the disturbing headlines that are, are before us really every day. Times are hard, right? Times are hard. We, we are seeing some really evil things in our world. Now, I, I, I will say this, times have never been easy. I mean, some of you who have some years on you, you can look back and, and you know, you have enough perspective to know that Boy, that there were some things that we used to face that maybe we don't face now, but it sure seems like there's some things that we're facing now that we never used to face. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that things used to be good. I'm not one of those persons that says, oh, I just wish we could go back to the 70s. I remember the 70s. They were not good. I heard a guy say once, oh, I, just, I love the 60s, and I thought, dude, you were, you were so hopped up, you don't even remember the 60s. They weren't that great. Times are hard. They've never been good, but times are. Let's talk about right now. Can't do anything about the past. Times are hard right now. Certainly on a public level. The things that I cited are things that that are in our, our world sometimes, sadly, in our churches and, and in our communities and they're in our state and in our nation and around the world. There are things that we're facing on a macro level that are big and that are difficult. But perhaps for you, times may even be more difficult on the private level. If if headlines, personal headlines, could be written about what you're going through right now that no one else may be aware of, that doesn't change anyone else's world, but I'll tell you what, it's pretty big in your world right now. See, it's not just the big headlines that affect us, but sometimes it's the small ones. You know that. And it's easy to identify. It's easy to point out. It's easy to, to highlight the, the perversions and the anger and the violence and the uncertainty that is around us. It's very easy to identify that on any given day within moments we can become aware of the become acutely aware of the newest bad news. But on a personal level, one phone call, one text, one email, one discussion, one conversation, and suddenly you're thinking to yourself, that that, that headline just changed my life. 
So it's not just out there, it's sometimes real close in. Things that can overwhelm us. I mean, they can just crush us, that can, that can make us feel as if we're just surrounded. I've shared this with some of you that um, almost every message that I preach, I either live before I preach it or just after I preach it. God calls me to speak, I prepare, I diligently prepare, and then I just know, I, there are times when I say, oh Lord, I don't want, because I know that if I preach it, I'm going to have to live it. And I lived it this last week. I won't go into all the details. But there were some, just some things that happened this last week on, on, on a number of just different levels. And, and boy, by Friday night, I just felt like, oh, some hard headlines. And I told Joni, I, it was 10.30 at night, and, 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 and I told her, I said, and we'd just gotten a phone call from somebody who was hurting deeply, and I said, we have an hour and a half left on this day, and I'm really glad because I want this day to end. You ever have a day like that? Am I the only one? I said, man, the, the, the personal headlines are hard. And you've had those days, right? I'm not, it's not about me, it's, it's, it's about all of us. We've had times like that, seasons and sometimes it's more than just a day. Sometimes it's a whole week like I had, or sometimes it's a whole season. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes we're going through things and we're going, man, when are the headlines going to change? This is so hard. And you feel surrounded. You feel overwhelmed. We can relate with Elisha's servant who saw the enormity of the enemy and said, alas, what shall we do? I, I don't remember the last time I used the word alas, but I have said, what shall we do? What are we going to do? I've said things like that, and maybe you have as well. And here's the thing. God, give us the heart of Elisha. Give us the eyes and the heart of an Elisha. Not because he's anything special, but God, as I've said through all of this, this is not recorded here in First or in Second Kings simply to fill space. It is not there simply as a matter of record. It is there because God wants to tell us through his word that what he did then, he can do now. That's why it's there. That's why it's there. So that when we face some things that feel like they're just surrounding us and overwhelming us, that we can say, oh God, give us the eyes that you gave to Elisha. Give us the heart and the mind and the faith that you gave to Elisha to understand <coughs> so that we might understand that while the enemy of our souls is powerful, the follower of Jesus Christ is surrounded by the army of God. Things are hard. Things are challenging. But I want to communicate to you so profoundly today that though things are challenging right now in your world, in my world, in our world, we are surrounded by the power and the presence of God. Now let me tell you something. I have never seen an angelic army and I'm okay with that. If sometime in the next week, I get out in the morning and I grab my cup of coffee and I glance out in my backyard and there's a fiery chariot and horse out there. I will let you know next Sunday. I'm okay if I never see a fiery chariot or horse. I'm okay if I never see a, 
And as other places in Scripture, a, an angel with a fiery sword. I'm okay with that. Now, if God wants to reveal that, that's fine so that I can see it in person. I'm okay with that. We don't need to necessarily see with our eyes angelic armies. But we regularly, we regularly, we regularly need reminding that the power of God is greater than the power of the enemy. See, that's the thing with headlines. They can cause us to think that this is so big, it's so overwhelming, there's nothing that I can do about this. But we need to be regularly reminded that though the enemy is strong, my God is stronger yet. <clears throat> One of my favorite songs, this great old song, it's called This Is My Father's World, and there's a line in there that says that though the wrong seems often so strong, God is the ruler yet. I hold on to that sometimes. It comes to my mind when I read, though, though the wrong is often so strong, God is the ruler yet. The enemy is strong, but my God is stronger. The power of God is greater than the power of the enemy. This morning you undoubtedly rode or drove here in a vehicle. Unless you're Amish and we have a nice pasture right out the back here. You drove in a vehicle. On the vehicles that we drive, on the bottom of the outside rear view mirrors, you will often find the words, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Have you seen that? You'll notice it from now on. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. May the Lord bury this truth deep in our hearts this day. God's presence and his power are closer than they appear. God's presence and power. Sometimes it's so easy. In fact, it's one of the strategies of the enemy to, to make us think that God is, he doesn't care about you, that God is so far away, that God is so preoccupied with something else. Some of you are facing some enormous transitions just ahead of you, and it's heavy, and it's, 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 it's disturbing to you, but I, I, the presence and the power of God, they're closer than you think closer than it appears. Our Holy, our Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of Christ, he's, he's our Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. Do you understand that when, <clears throat> when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it says His Spirit began to dwell in us. We, are the pres we, we have the presence of God within us. And then later on, it says, it says that we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit, with all of the evidences, with all of the gifts thereof. But when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, His Spirit began to dwell in you. You are His. Let me say that again. You are His. Do you know that Satan is not afraid of you, but he's terrified of who is in you? I saw a young man once with a t-shirt. I was working at a college, and he said, and it said, I am Satan's personal nightmare. I went up to him, and I said, no, you're not. Satan's not afraid of you, but he's terrified of who's in you. 
If you, are follow, if you submitted your life, if you've surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is dwelling within you and, he, and, and the enemy is terrified. Now, there's no shortage. I know there's no shortage of bad news, but here's some really good news. Listen to this. Romans 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Psalm 91, verses 5 through 7. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. That's worth putting up on the mirror. That's worth memorizing and declaring when the enemy says, I'm big. You hold that up against him and say, my God is bigger. John 13, verse, excuse me, verse, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, these things, he said it to his disciples, but he said it to us, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, Jesus said, but take courage, I have overcome the world. What was he saying? The enemy's big, the tribulation is real, but I have overcome this world, I am greater. There's powerful peace in that. Some of you have been so inundated and overwhelmed, surrounded by the headlines, that you've gone into the spiritual fetal position cowering in the corner. And I say that we have the power and the authority of Jesus Christ if we are his followers and we can stand up against the evil in this world and say, not here, not here, not here. God is more powerful. We have that authority in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Lord, give us faith to know that you are there even if we cannot see you with our eyes. Students, in coming weeks or months, if you're in a classroom or a lunchroom and someone rejects and mocks the essential truths of God's word, remember that the presence of Jesus Christ surrounds you. Some of you are going to be in a workplace and it may seem that no one else there honors God, but the presence of Jesus Christ surrounds you. Some of you are, even today, perhaps going to go back to a home where the very name of Jesus Christ is derided and abused, but Jesus is there. You are not alone. You are not outnumbered. The presence of Jesus Christ is not only in you, he surrounds you. When it seems like everything, when it seems like everything that we believe in as Christians is under attack, and I tell you, I warn you, I, I, I inform you that it's going to get more, not less. But when it seems like there are so many who want to silence the, the message of Jesus Christ, we need to remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, we may feel surrounded at times, but I'll tell you what, we're surrounded by Jesus. We win. We win. Say it with me. We win. Say it again. We win. Say it again. We win. Because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross, we win and we are victorious. This morning we're almost done. I'm going to ask the worship team if they will come back. And we're going to, we're going to sing a song that we sang earlier. And we're going, to, we're going to close this way. We're going to declare these truths in Jesus' name. 
We're going to declare these truths in Jesus' name. We've come to a very important part of this service, and before we stand together, I want you to remain seated, and I want to do something with you. There are perhaps some here this morning that have not yet surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that I've shared this morning is with the understanding, the pretext, that you are within the Lord Jesus Christ, and some of you are not. Some of you are not. There, there may be some here that, that, that are, are, are not followers of Jesus Christ, and, and you're thinking, well, am I in danger? You are in mortal danger. This is, should I be worried? You should be terrified. Because the enemy's going to have you for lunch. But if you're in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, it's going to be all right. It's going to bring you through. So before we go any further, with your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed, I, I need to give you this opportunity. Is there anyone here this morning that will say, with an upraised hand, will say, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to... I want to surrender my life to him. I want his presence to surround me. And I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to begin serving him, following him, living for him today. Is there anyone here? Just with their hands raised. And, and you can catch my eye also if that is you. Is there anyone here? You need to be bringing people who don't know so that when I give that invitation, that, uh, that they will have that opportunity. Is there anyone, anyone here? All right. And by faith, I'm trusting that every person here is following you. I want you to stand with me, everyone here, please. We're going to sing this song. And uh, um, these altars, in a moment, are going to be open. And you can certainly, at the close, to come forward. But we're going to sing this through, and then I'm going to pray. And, but I want, us, I want this song to be our prayer. Would you? Would you? There's some powerful words in here. And I want you to declare this, all right? Don't just sing it. Think about the words and declare it. And then we're going to close in prayer. And I want, I, I want this. May the Lord, right where you're standing, whether your battle that you're facing is the macro level, the big level like all of us are facing because we're living in this world, or if you are facing some kind of a battle that is on a personal level, but it, it is nevertheless very real. It's a big part of your headlines right now. I want you to right now, in these moments ahead, meet with the Lord and say, Lord, remind me when I leave this place, when I leave this place, to know that I am in your presence and your presence is in me and that you surround me. Give me that reassurance that regardless of what headlines come, I'm going to be all right because you are there. Let's sing this together and then we will close in prayer. My foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war, I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way, my help is on the Oh.
come, maybe we be in that moment reassured, though the wrong seems often so strong, my God is the ruler yet, that if God is for us, who can be against us that we win? I pray that we will go in the power of that truth, but that you will sustain us and use us 
so that others too will know that they do not need to cower from the travails of this world, but they can find a refuge in you. We have an amazing, miraculous, transformational message, person of Jesus Christ, who makes all the difference. So Lord, help us to take that out so that we, like Elisha of old, will say to those around us, Lord, may their eyes be opened so that they will see the power and the presence of God. Use us for your glory. May we go in your strength. I thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.